We are back. Week eight. Week seven is in the books. What an interesting week it was. We had only four players on the DraftKings main slate surpass 30 fantasy points. Two of those were quarterbacks. And then we had one wide receiver and one tight end. Looking forward to week eight, we now have what we can consider a full slate of games. We have 13 games on the week eight slate. No teams are on by. Thanks for that algorithmically uh, <laughs> computer-generated schedule that we got this season. No teams on by. 13 games. No games above 50-point total out of 13 games. But with that, you know the drill. Welcome back to Searching for Ceiling, presented by One Week Season and Sharp Football Analysis. I will be joined here when we come back by the great Rich Rebar. Welcome. One Week Season. There he is, Mr. Rich Rebar. How we doing in week eight? We're, we're doing good. We did feel a little bit with the no buys. Uh, you know, they, they dropped on us just randomly out of week eight. Yeah. But, uh, we, we worked our way through it. We'll have a couple weeks here. Uh, it was nice of them at least not to line up the no buys with uh, Halloween week where trick-or-treating is. Because, you know, I work on Mondays and Tuesdays writing all the games up heavily and into Wednesday. Uh, and, you know, I need some buys uh, for trick-or-treat because I need to spend a few hours with my kids, you know, during the week to go out and trick-or-treating. Yeah, so we did a lot of our, like, pumpkin patch stuff and, and pre-festive, pre-holiday festivities this past week. Um, which <laughs> during the no buy week, which got a little busy as well. So that was interesting. But yes, Mr. Big Dan in the chat. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. And as always, we're going to bring you the heat, searching for some hidden upside here. Uh, like, subscribe, all those good things. Um, so Rich, we just got through that intro where we have 13 games on the main slate. We have exactly zero games with a game total of 50 <laughs> points or more. And, and that's a completely arbitrary number that we've kind of grown accustomed to over the previous three seasons. We know dating back to 2020 season, we had uh, a peak in scoring. Teams were scoring 2.88 touchdowns per game in that season. We were down to 2.43 touchdowns per game last season. And now we are below 2.30. And my dogs are barking in the back. Uh, that is great. They're not so, happy about the scoring with, either. They, they are happy. an outrage. This is an outrage. <laughs> scoring is down, down. So when you talk about going from 2.88 touchdowns per team per game, now down below 2.3, that is over half a touchdown per team per game. That means teams or game environments are scoring on average a full touchdown less than we were seeing through just three short years ago. So with all that, the fact that we have these low game totals, the fact that we know teams are playing too high at 60% plus rate across the league. We know that that becomes difficult to attack. We talked about how that's influenced some of these quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson last week. How are you seeing this massive 13 game slate from a macro perspective now with these kind of subdued game environments? Yeah, and this plate's in particular because we don't have a lot of like these these like back and forth matchups either. Like it's a lot, yeah. it's very spread out. Like we have a lot of big lines again. I mean, the NFL can't set that or Vegas, you know, can't set these game totals low enough. I and mean, we saw last week they opened up a game at 50 Chiefs Chargers and it immediately got bet under 50 yeah. and still went under and still went under the game. And it looked like it had a good first half. 
Uh, our only saving grace is the Indianapolis Colts this year. And we'll probably talk about yes. that. Like, oh, yeah, uh, right. You know, they play fast. They play bad defense. They have a streaky quarterback, a high variance quarterback. It's like they are like the one team like we count on weekly. Uh, I write a like, game <laughs> stacks article and some other Colts just find their way in every week because they're the only team that like plays in like a fun environment. But when you yeah. look at it from like a, a macro stance, like, it is still like good if you can get these game right, these games right, like on a given week. If you are on the right game on slot, like you can pop because not many games are popping over, you know. So like if you like a couple weeks ago, like Dolphins Panthers, right? Like if you ran that yeah. game correctly and you had Chuba Hubbard and you had Adam Thielen coming back and you you had Tua, you had Tyree Kill, you had Raheem Mostert, like you were cooking, you were cooking. You had a you had a leg up on the field. Uh, I don't know how how a lot of people got to like the the Browns Colts side in unique ways last week, but that was like a game. If you were able to, <laughs> yeah. to congeal the right pieces there, you're cooking. And uh, so like, we're going to try to find a few of those spots. Cause th- that's the way I like to play. I like to play these, uh, you know, low field, small entry, uh, single entry stuff. And then I like to try to get these games right. And then just let the field try to catch me. That's an interesting, or, or it's interesting to me that you brought up that point about um, over stacks and get really leaning into a game environment becomes more viable. Well, if you think about the theoretics behind that, um, if there are fewer games that have the path to completely erupting, I mean, we look at three years ago, there were multiple game environments that were providing 50, 60 points of scoring mm-hmm. per week. Now that touchdown is touchdowns are down, scoring is kind of down around the league. These flash in the pan game environments that erupt seemingly out of nowhere are increasingly important when they do happen. We're not going to see it every single slate. We're not going to see it every week. We saw it last week. We saw it in week uh, three with the Miami Dolphins scoring, hanging a 70 burger on the Denver Broncos. Those are going to happen throughout the season. When they do, they're going to be that much more important as we're searching for ceilings. So that's a great lead-in to kind of some of the things that we're going to talk to today. Mr. Michael, thank you for joining us for the first time. Let's jump into it, shall we? I'm going to throw it directly over to you. I I, I didn't want to preload you, but I did mention off-air that I had two very specific questions uh, that I was going to ask you. I'm going to right. those, and I want to hear... What is a game environment that you're kind of looking to attack that might not garner much interest for this week? Uh, that, that might not garner much interest. Is it just say, yeah, because yeah. so we, we've got the Colts like out there again. And obviously that's going to, and they have a lot of like individual pieces in that game that look good. Uh, mm-hmm. I will say like, I don't know, there's a couple. So like, I don't know, do you want to start with uh, Jag Steelers? Let's do it. Especially <laughs> after that game last week where the Rams just almost inexplicably had their highest rush rate over expectation game with a running back they just signed off the street so yeah let's talk about yeah, that two, two weeks in a row yeah yeah uh, yeah it's still it's still an inter- interesting game uh obviously we have so what i think is interesting about this particular slate is in the previous weeks is that we have groupings of viable plays in the same like price zone uh obviously mm-hmm. i think that we're gonna have a real popular play in Brees hall but we also have like these subsectors at running back and wide receiver where we got groupings of guys that people want to play. And that creates nice fulcrum points of one, either getting those players right. If you only take one yeah. player in that same price zone, or if you're, you know, getting two, if you just want to buy players, because when you have a thing like last two weeks ago, like where he most starts owned in 60% of leagues, at this certain price point, it steers roster building in like a, a linear fashion where we all tend to build similar rosters, right? Even if you have yeah. different players, you're still, talking about how where you allocate salary still gets distributed in an in even fashion um, where this week you're going to have to make decisions, you know, at, at the 70, 
uh, $7,000 price range, you might want to have Travis Etienne, who is in this game. You might look at Tony Pollard right there. You might look at Alvin Kamara there. Uh, you know, we've got this like great subsector wide receivers from 5K to 5,500. Uh, say Flowers, a Nico Collins, uh, a Terry yeah. McLaurin, like all these guys are in really good spots. So it's going to make roster building fun this week. We're going to see more diversity, I think, outside of Mr. Brees Hall. And Travis Etienne is one of these guys who I think when people look at that price range of running back, Alvin Kamara is going to be the first guy that kind of jumps out because especially on DraftKings where he's priced and just the amount of receiving work he's doing, how it just leans into the, to the site and how it's scored. It gives him yeah. a boost. So Travis Etienne, if he comes in overlooked, I mean, we've got a player that we've talked I literally searching for ceiling and we've brought him up as leverage yeah. and it's like multiple times throughout this year. And he's just delivered for us when he's under owned repeatedly. Uh, and he just needed to check that last box where he was getting goal line touches. And he's now gotten those two weeks in a row. He leads the NFL in touches, all his receiving work is up and he's facing a team that you just let in and talked about that just allowed those two guys that were brought in. Royce Freeman was on the team, but he, they just allowed yeah. 127 rushing yards to Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman. So Travis Etienne is a guy that immediately jumps out of, uh, to me as one of these guys that uh, gives us exactly what we're looking for as far as leverage versus a popular play is in a game that might be getting over overlooked uh is in a price zone to where he might be overlooked yeah and i love that call too or that shout too because when we look at how the jags have really handled their offense over the previous two seasons they have been a lot more um at risk or susceptible to the game environment that they're playing in what i mean by that is where we think of we think of this team as a team that is just going to go out there and kind of open up their offense and pass a ton. But if you look at Trevor Lawrence's game logs and dating back to last season under this current coaching regime, they're much more muted than I think the perception is around the field. They, they are not really going out and looking to throw 36 plus times every single day. Uh, they are really, really kind of letting the game come to them and adjusting from there. And that kind of plays into the now more robust role that Travis Etienne has particularly against a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers that are their defensive line and their pass rush. And then kind of not a lot behind that as far as defensive prowess goes. So is this team going to game plan to drop back a ton uh, against an opponent that can really be beaten deep? They can be beaten on the ground um, and they can kind of be picked apart if they're going to be, if, if the Jags are really going to be looking to adopt more of a, a, a control the game kind of mindset what I'm trying to get that get at here is Travis Etienne brings multiple paths to success beyond just being this heavy workload type running back. He's involved in the past game. We've seen now the goal line stuff. Uh, we've seen the increased red zone usage. So yeah, I love that shout. Particularly everybody, like you mentioned, is going to be flocking to one Alvin Kamara here who has two games of 14 targets through his past <laughs> four games. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, love that shout. Any other interesting pieces you got from this game in particular? Yeah, so he who shall not be named, we will name, uh, just because I think it's a unique unique dynamic in this game, Mr. Calvin Ridley. Yep. Uh, it looks like we are trending towards, and it's Friday, so like keep, keep your eye on the injury stuff, but it looks like we are trending towards Zay Jones returning uh, this yep. weekend, which – you know, adds another piece, you know, obviously the guys that they've been playing in place of Zay Jones in this offense, the Tim Joneses, the Jamal Agnews, like 
these are not really viable players that earned opportunities in this offense. They have a role for Zay Jones, vertical and in the red zone. And since he's been gone, Mr. Calvin Ridley has now 56% of his targets are further than 10 yards downfield and 60.4% of his targets are outside the numbers. So, so he's getting targets at a very low success rate uh, mm-hmm. that come inherently with a low success rate. The return of Zay Jones may open some opportunity for him that we don't really know because Zay Jones has missed four games outright. He left another game early. We only saw him really this like trio of wide receivers play in unison week one and week two. Uh, and they yeah. left a lot of points on the field in week two against the Chiefs. A lot of touchdowns were left on the field in that game. But the Steelers have particularly struggled on the outside. Like they have really struggled to 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 limit outside wide receiver production. They're 27th in points per game allowed to boundary receivers. Uh, touchdown rate 23rd. 9.2 yards per target is 25th. So if Zay Jones comes back and takes away some of that, you know, the the lower success rate stuff and allows Calvin Ridley to have maybe some more opportunities that come with a higher success rate. It could open up some things for him. I think he becomes interesting on the slate because his price has finally dropped too. So he's an interesting guy, I think. And then the Steelers side, I think is interesting because the Jags have been kind of a pass funnel. They're really good against the run. And we really Mm -hmm. only have this two pronged target tree with Pittsburgh because their tight end position is so limited with Pat Frymouth being out. Uh, both Connor Hayward and Darnell Washington are just kind of blocking guys. They don't really throw to their running backs a ton. Only a negative game script is Jalen Warren see a lot of work. Uh, yep. Najee doesn't see a lot of work in the inherent flow of the offense. So we really only have like this short target tree of George Pickens and Deontay Johnson to kind of run this back. So we have a lot of mini stack opportunities. We have a way to congeal this together if you don't want to play the quarterbacks. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunities here think, that I think are intriguing in this game. Yep. Uh, note from the listener. I went and double checked on this and 22 minutes ago. So 22 minutes. minutes. missed it by 22, 22 minutes. minutes. Yeah. Right before we jumped on the show, we were in here talking. Uh, they hit us with the Zay Jones ruled out. Uh, so there so, yeah. you go, man. So yeah, Stanford. so you're probably going to get Calvary with a lot more of those like that forced opportunity to win outside. Yeah. Uh, and to win vertical. Not that the matchup still like opens up an opportunity for that, but like that's the role we're probably going to see him in a similar role that what he's had with Zay Jones out. Yeah, I've seen a lot of talk also about Calvin Ridley's production with Zay Jones in and out. And while the role has changed a little bit, the route tree has remained rather consistent. So I don't buy into, I think that's a small sample size alert. Zay Jones has only played two games. Yeah. Um, there is the potential for a guy like Calvin Ridley to bring some elite ceiling here. I'm going to steer the conversation now to another game where I think is going to be largely played incorrectly by the field. And that's this Vikings and green Bay Packers game. When you look at how both of these offenses want to move the ball, it kind of aligns with the shortcomings of the defense on the other side. The big uncertainty that is present in this game are Brian Flores is insane 57% blitz rate. And you look at Jordan Love's stats when he is blitzed versus when he is not blitzed, pressured when he is not pressured. It's not pretty. That said, we kind of talked about this team last week, this Packers team. They're hopefully getting healthier. We mentioned last week that it would be the first week with a healthy Aaron Jones and a healthy Christian Watson. And then Aaron Jones only played um, 35% of the offensive snaps. But this team having or beyond their buy being embarrassed now for <laughs> multiple weeks in a row, not doing much against this Denver Broncos, historically bad defense. 
Are you seeing any upside from the Packers? And is that going to basically via game environment shift some upside to the Vikings as well? Well, they, they stopped pushing the ball vertically. Early in the season, the Packers were taking a lot of downfield shots. The first six weeks of the season, Jordan Love was averaging 9.9 yard, air yards per attempt. That was the, the furthest mm-hmm. depth of target in the NFL. Uh, and that's completely like just completely shrunk the past two weeks. Uh, they're not pushing the ball downfield. And you think that would co- like them getting Christian Watson back would be like, all right, let's yeah let's keep pushing. Let's <laughs> keep going. But the coaching staff's really tried to rein Jordan Love in because of some of the mistakes he had early in the season. And it's really kind of slowed this offense down. I mean, this is yeah. this offense is not pushing the ball downfield. They're playing slow and they're not scoring any points until they're pressed to score points. They have 24 <laughs> so, points now yeah, in the first it. half. <laughs> So it's really kind of put them behind the eight ball, the game plan. It's one of these things. Is it, is it a Jordan love problem? Is it a LaFleur problem because it's a Jordan love problem? It's like, it's hard to diagnose like what, cause we're not in the building uh, yeah. to kind of say like, well, what's forced this change. Uh, I tend to believe it's a Jordan love problem because Jordan love was a prospect. I wasn't high on. I just, he, he's a mistake prone quarterback. He's not, ac- he's never been accurate at any level. Um, and I think that the Packers now are finally just like, sinking instead of swimming with him uh so be interesting to see how it moves forward uh the vikings do not give up a lot of vertical passing because they play a ton of they're like the they're not the opposite of wink martindale wink's gonna blitz and play a lot of man coverage behind it brian flores is blitz heavy but he's gonna play a ton of zone behind it uh not give up he's still giving you a lot of umbrella coverage uh um, a lot of quarters so stuff like that behind these blitzes so is this quick passing game something we we believe in with the packers right uh, that's what we have to have faith in. And it's really tough for me to kind of have faith in Jordan Love because he's just not an accurate quarterback. Yeah. One thing to keep uh, an eye on, Luke Musgrave has not practiced uh, as of yesterday. We're waiting on the practice report from Friday uh, with that ankle injury. Um, guys like Josiah DeGuara and Tyler Kraft, uh, t- sorry, Tucker Kraft, um, are not your prototypical like go run eight yards downfield uh, over the middle of the field and catch a pass. Uh, they're more in line. They're more blocking type stuff that could open up some interesting uh, over the middle of the field type work. Um, I don't know if Christian Watson is really necessarily going to be utilized in that role. Uh, Romeo Dobbs kind of similarly, uh, but also we've got some injury concerns kind of going on um, with some of these wide receivers too. So there could be something there could be if Aaron Jones is finally healthy, uh, some of these rub and sneak out into the second level behind the linebackers type stuff. Um, I'm just intrigued by how these offenses in their recent form kind of lines up with what we expect from these defenses. And a lot of that comes down to is LaFleur going to adjust the game plan enough coming in because he has very clearly been one of the poorest game planners uh, with this team scoring, as you mentioned, only 24 first half points uh, through six games played. So very clearly there's something going on that is not meshing uh, with this team. At some point, they still have talented skill position players. So at some point, I would expect them to right that ship. But as you mentioned, it might be a Jordan Love problem. As a Packers fan, I'm sitting here saying, hey, this is a LaFleur problem because we have seen this offense struggle so mightily to start games. And when you talk about the level of um, struggles they've had in the first half, that to me is something is wrong with the game plan coming in because there's really like there's really those three areas of a of a game. There's the first half, the first quarter plus, which is this is our game plan. 
Then you get punched in the mouth and you have to adjust and you're now game managing. And then it's like fourth quarter is a whole nother animal uh, in com uh, uh, completely. So the fact that they've struggled in that like game planning uh, portion of their season uh, from a week to week perspective it is troubling for me as a Packers fan. I got to admit <laughs> that I'm a Packers fan as I like completely rip on, on the floor. But um, yeah, it's interesting to me. The first, first three possessions of games, Warren wrote about the Packers on the site this week. First three possessions yeah. of the game, they're number 29 in rate of drives that score points, number 31 in the rate of drives that result in punts, uh, number 29 in drive distance, uh, yards gained yeah. per drive, number 27 in points per drive. And the first three drives of the game, like these are your scripted, you know, how you want to yes. come out and attack a defense. Uh, yeah. And not good. <laughs> Hashtag not good, Bob. Uh, we move on. I had to get them out because I thought they were interesting. So now I want to get to... I will say this, though, about that game, too, on the other side, too. Like, we, we had this eruption game from Jordan Addison on Monday night. Yeah. Obviously, everyone knows pricing for Monday night players is already out. Uh, mm -hmm. So the Packers actually are really good against, like, uh, opposing lead receivers, opposing boundary receivers. They struggle against interior slot guys. So if we get some point chasing here uh, for Jordan Addison, uh, it could be a spot that definitely come under on him. And the Packers are extremely banged up in the secondary. Uh, we have Eric Stokes and, um, uh, oh, Jesus, I forgot his name. The other guy in the secondary uh, who had hit the injured reserve this week, uh, we have Jair Alexander, who was not practicing early in the week. So um, extremely banged up in the secondary as well. Uh, worth mention there. So now I want to transition the discussion to the first of my two questions, and it's going to lead us to none other than Sean McVay's Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> we have a Rams team who has very clear paths of moving the football against man coverage against Dallas Cowboys team who's playing the third highest rate of man coverage in the league. We know that they are, even with all the talent on, you know, their, their first and second levels up to their linebacking core, even when with all that talent, they are generating pressure at a rate below their blitz rate, which is something we typically don't see out of these elite type defenses. So I ask you this, is what we've seen out of the Dallas Cowboys defense this year a function of them being really, really good on defense? Or is it a function of them playing the Giants, the Jets, the Cardinals, um, all these teams who are in the bottom 10 and scoring this year? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit of both because they do have a multi-year sample of being, a, you know, a good defense or game. We know there's a lot of talent, yeah. especially when you have Micah Parsons. Uh, but we have seen teams that have functional offenses in the 49ers and the Chargers. Chargers only scored 17 points, but, yeah. uh, you know, statistically, you know, we're able to to move the football in that game. So there is some opportunity here. What you do worry about, though, is that pass rush if it does get home because Matthew Stafford, as he's progressed, at uh, this stage of his career, is literally one of the most sensitive quarterbacks to pressure. We saw it again last week against the Steelers when he was the worst quarterback uh, below completion rate expectation. Uh, when he's been pressured this season, he's only completing 39.2% of his passes. That's 29th in the league. Uh, he's 58.8 rating, is 23rd in the league. So if the Cowboys do get home, that's where the disruption starts. Uh, this should be a game where we see them have to be more passing viable than they have the past two weeks. Uh, yeah. being road dogs of almost a touchdown. We should have to see them throw the football more and not be as condensed as they were in the run game the past two weeks. So that's good because they're only throwing the ball to two guys. Uh, since yeah. Cooper Cup has come back, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua have now combined for 68%, 76%, and 70% of the team's targets. 
over three games. Like that is a ludicrous condensed target tree. Yeah. Uh, so we do know that where the ball's going. So if you are running these Cowboy stacks, the other element here to in play too, is you got the Cowboys as home favorites. And prior to the bye, when the Cowboys played the Chargers, it was the first time the entire season they ran a play in the second half of a game with the game within seven points of either direction. So yeah, like that's we, wild. We've only seen the Cowboys play in one neutral game script too. So if we don't get a neutral game script Cowboy game, like that's where we've seen the failure for a lot of these Cowboys over the opening month of the season was they literally just didn't play a normal football game in either direction yeah. in the opening month of the season. So if they do get out ahead and get out and race ahead to, to points, uh, is it does it cap a guy like Tony Pollard? Does it cap a CD Lamb? Uh, hell, even Michael Gallup had 10 targets last game. So yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. There's a lot of interesting dynamics when you start zooming into the micro aspects of this game. I mean, we have CeeDee Lamb who's seeing like a 22% targets per route run rate this year, far below what he has put up in the past. We have a Dallas Cowboys offense who is averaging just over 31 pass attempts per game. We have Tony Pollard who is seeing less utilization off tackle. He is seeing less schemed usage to get him the ball in space. We've seen his efficiency metrics basically uh, be cut in half when you look at last season. Um, his explosive run rate is down from about 8.8% to now 4.2%. All these metrics are indicating that like they are not utilizing these highly talented pieces in Dallas uh, to their maximum um, and trying to maximize the talent that they have. The other side of that is... They're generating no explosive plays. Zero. And Puka Nakua on the other side of this discussion had not demonstrated a consistent ability to beat man coverage. We saw his targets per route run rate drop from 34% heading into last week to 17% against man coverage. And then he went out and against a Steelers team that played man coverage at above average rate, he went out and went ham when extra additional attention was uh, put towards Cooper Cup. So all of that introduces a really, really wide range of outcomes with this game environment in particular. We know that these are two slow offenses. We know that they combine to allow well below average offensive plays run from scrimmage per game. We know that the Cowboys are going to run the football so they can rest their defense, all that nonsense. We know all that. But I think what's going to go largely missed here is there are some explosive pieces in this game. And all of that discussion we just had just points to a wide range of outcomes. So I'm interested. I have not looked at ownership yet, but I'm interested in this spot. What do you make of kind of the uncertainty in this one? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a game that I look for, like uh, like I said, in the in those, uh, you know, small, small single entry stuff, like where you're just hoping to get the game right. And then it's a piece like it's a game where you can stack good pieces around it um, if you're right. So like if Tony, if you're running like a Tony Pollard, uh, you probably can't do a double Rams uh, bring back just because you, you're allocating so much salary. But you get yeah. one of the you get your Rams piece right. Maybe you have a guy like, uh, you know, Michael Gallup or Jake Ferguson uh in this game uh rams have really struggled against tight ends and he's still getting like his red zone work is still phenomenal yeah. and he hasn't had the targets uh you know I, my buddy john daigle tried to explain he's like i can't tell if jake ferguson is about to break out or he's just underachieving uh, yeah it's it's like hard to diagnose but he did before the buy run a route on 84 percent of team dropbacks his routes per dropback have gone up in each of the past four games from the week prior uh so is he a guy that you bring back as a small piece and you kind of try to just get like all the touchdowns right in this game. And then you're kind of uh, on pace there, but it def that's where I'm intrigued from it is like small entry, uh, single entry, small field stuff is where I'm looking to like stack this game. 
Yeah, you look at a guy like Jake Ferguson who has like a 4.4 A dot, but he's got like a 30% red zone target rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's quite the profile, uh, to be honest. Uh, very, very interesting. So I'll throw it over to you again. We'll, we'll examine another potential spot for some hidden upside here. Uh, and then I'll get to kind of that my, my second big question for you. So I'll throw it over to you. What's another spot that you're kind of circling in pencil uh, of interest to attack here? Uh, uh, just, I'll do a player one instead of a game environment. Okay. Yeah, uh, that works for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about Garrett Wilson, uh, for okay. sure, because Garrett Wilson is always, his price never really drops. Right. So like never mm-hmm. really anyone feels like they like, ob- like obligated to click on the button for Garrett Wilson. Uh, even when he faced the Broncos a couple weeks ago, right? Like when people were kind yeah. of seeing him, it was just like, ah, he's, you know, he's priced around these guys. Like, I'm just going to take the safety. Right. But now we have this great like leverage point too, where he's his teammates going to be literally the most popular player on the slate. We talked about Alvin Kamara being really popular, yeah. but Brees Hall on both sites, where he's seventy two hundred on Fanduel, he's fifty nine hundred on DraftKings. Uh, literally has the only good running back game against the Eagles prior to the bye. Uh, he had ran a season high, you know, route participation right? Like there's all these things. Like Brees Hall is going to be super popular this week. Yeah. So we have the leverage point of potentially like if Garrett Wilson does well, then he could steal touchdowns here. But this in particular matchup for Garrett Wilson, I think, offers some really intriguing signal. Uh, we always talk about, you know, Wink sending the blitz like we do. Brian Flores plays a lot of man coverage behind it. Uh, when Zach Wilson has been blitzed this season, Garrett Wilson has 60 and a half percent of the team targets. I said 60. Uh, not 25, not 30, like where you hear about these targets. He has 73% yeah. of the team air yards when Zach Wilson is blitzed. The problem is, you know, we got to deal with the inaccurate target rate. Uh, yeah. 26.9% of his targets uh, have been inaccurate on those plays. But when Zach Wilson is blitzed and not pressured, Garrett Wilson has caught 11 of 16 targets, 180 yards and a touchdown. Only A.J. Brown has more receiving yards this season when his quarterback is blitzed and not pressured. So we've got like this great kind of like point here where he's, he's leveraged against probably the most popular player on the slate. He's got a matchup. He's priced in a range where like people won't get to him. Uh, he's going to definitely be a guy that I'm probably going to have overexposure to uh, in this matchup. Yeah, that's a great shout. I love those. Uh, th- that threw me for a loop. Uh, I'm very in tune with the numbers and the analytics. And that one threw me for a loop. I had not seen that. Uh, that's outrageous. 61% target rate. <laughs> That's outrageous. Outrageous fun. Um, that's very interesting, too, for where he's priced. Um, I, When we're looking at, and I'm not going to know for certain, and I never know for certain, but a lot of what I do um, in the game theoretic realm is looking at how the pieces fit together in the puzzle that is that slate. And so I really don't get a, a full feel for that until tonight into Saturday morning. But he seems like that price range, the sub 7K, but higher than like 5,500, um, that price range, right, where Garrett Wilson is resting, is probably going to go rather underutilized this week. Um, and on a full 13-game slate, there's a lot a lot of stuff that we got to work through. Um, but ownership, like individual ownership, matters a little bit less um, when you start getting below mega chalk like Brees Hall is probably going to be mega chalk so when I'm thinking about like how do I I don't think we're going to have a mega chalk wide receiver this week no I don't think so either uh and a lot of that is how the salary kind of shakes out I mean you look at you look at wide receiver and up at the top we've got some like Tyreek Hill who's questionable he did get in a limited practice yesterday 
waiting on that practice report today. But we've got Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, uh, uh, AJ Brown, who we'll talk about here shortly. Um, that is going to be my second big question for you. So a little bit of a All sneak right. peek. Puka Nakua, we have CeeDee Lamb, Jalen Waddle, Brandon Ayuk with no Debo Samuel. There's a lot of guys that are priced at wide receiver above 7K. But the way that pricing shakes out, it's likely going to lead the field to have to choose one of those guys. Um, and so that's going to leave, I think, this middle tier of player pricing at wide receiver, uh, largely not untouched, but relatively speaking, um, right. untouched, right? Um, all right. That's an interest, interesting discussion. Yeah, Didn't and if people are paying in that far. range, they're probably going to get to Thielen just because he's been so steady. Like people, yeah, will, you know, like hey, he, this guy's been winning me money every week. It's easy click for me. Like he's, <laughs> you know, it's a, just the, men, the mentality of gamers, you know. Yeah. So with all that, I teased it there for a minute. I want to talk about this Philadelphia Eagles pass defense, in particular, this matchup with a Washington Commanders team. That just seems to out of nowhere play this team more difficult than they otherwise should when just looking at how their team is comprised and, and the composition and the makeup and the underlying metrics. This Washington Commanders team should not be hanging with these Eagles, but they continue to do so. What was interesting to me when I was digging up this spot is AJ Brown and how he has really taken over the primary focal point in this offense against man coverage. You look at his splits man to zone, his targets per route run rate against man coverage, almost 40%. He's about 38% targets per route run against man coverage. Against zone, it's a little bit more evenly spread between he, Devontae Smith, and, um, and Dallas Goddard. So I ask you this. We know the last time that these two teams played, the Washington Commanders ran almost exclusively from nickel. And... That makes sense when you consider a matchup against a mobile quarterback who is averaging over 10 carries per game. It makes sense that they're going to be running primarily from nickel. That left first-round rookie Emmanuel Forbes in a very a handful, a select handful of one-on-one -on -one snaps with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown absolutely cooked him for both of his scores that game. He had 170 yards receiving total. So I ask you this. Do you expect a similar nickel heavy cover three type game plan from the Washington commanders, or do you think that we're going to see them utilize heavier rates of man coverage? Because I think that's really intriguing and important for one AJ Brown. Well, I mean, yeah, basically ended Emmanuel Forbes early career. He came out the following Thursday and blew an assignment to DJ Moore and they benched him. He's played five snaps since. He didn't play it all yeah. in week six, and he played five snaps last week. So Manuel yep. Forbes probably isn't going to be out there. Uh, to to me, yeah, I think when you look at the the way the commanders and it's been consistent even with Manuel Forbes out. Like we saw last week, Jalen Hyatt hit them for two vertical balls. Like mm -hmm. they have really in the week before uh, Drake London, even with Manuel Forbes out, went for nine for one twenty five against them. Like they've they've really struggled on the boundaries, outside and vertical. Um, I, to me, the most intriguing piece in this game, obviously, listen, we can get to AJ Brown. The dude's on an absolute demon run, uh, yeah. right now, 127 yes. or more yards. People short him the two yards because it's because 125 is around number. Yeah, he's got 127 on, yeah. or more in every Yeah, game. let's not compare him to Megatron, dude. He's doing his own thing here. But, uh, Devontae Smith has had one good game the past month, and it also was against these commanders. 
Yeah. Uh, nine targets in that game. He had seven for 78, which obviously didn't blow up and have an eruption spot. But listen, he's out there every snap. He's mm-hmm. he's He's been on the field for 99.6% of the team dropbacks this year. He's playing still 75% of his routes outside. So like, Man, I know that it's it's he's not an easy click where he's priced, but like if you're running Hertz doubles, which you could, because Hertz is probably going to run less this game, you know, coming with that knee injury, playing with the brace, he'll probably have yeah. less designed rushing. Listen, you you don't need to be mobile to run the the, the brotherly shove or tush push, whatever your yeah. moniker of choice is. Brotherly but shove. He's probably going to run actually less, and you don't need to really run against these commanders if you're a quarterback. You can just throw all over them. So yeah, me Devontae Smith is probably the most intriguing. Cause we know he's capable of ceiling weeks too. Um, so like, he's a guy that I'm literally glommed onto and you have your inherent bring back in this game because Terry McLaurin is still super cheap and he's getting yeah. over 25% of team targets the past month. Uh, he is also one of these guys when you say like, yeah, like th- these guys shouldn't be that good against the Eagles. Like McLaurin's a guy that just consistently has good game logs against the Eagles. Where even last year when Darius Slay was in his bag, like, yeah, McLaurin still got him both games like so he just he plays well in this matchup what really tripped me up when looking at this game environment um when writing up this game is how unconcentrated the Washington Commanders offense has been you look at their targets per route run rates you look at their overall team target market shares you look at their snap rates you look at the rotation uh rotational factors of this offense And it kind of begins to make a little bit of sense when you look at who their new offensive coordinator is and Eric Bieniemy, kind of bringing those more rotational. I mean, they're playing guys like Deontay Brown. They're playing, obviously, obviously, Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin are not seeing necessarily high snap rates, but they're still in a route at 100% of the time. So 100% called class plays, they're in a route. That doesn't necessarily negate the, I guess, the, them not being on the field. I mean, they're on the field at like 86 to 88% of snap rates. So they're not playing every offensive snap, but they're in a route at a high rate. You also have Curtis Samuel, who's kind of that schemed gadgety guy. You have um, Logan Thomas, who has one game of double digit looks. Terry McLaurin has two games of double digit targets this year. Logan Thomas has one. No other pass catcher has a game of double digit targets. And while that isn't necessarily does not mean that these guys cannot hit for a ceiling game because Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Jahan Dotson's red zone target share is off the charts. Uh, Terry McLaurin is very clearly the top pass catcher here, but that kind of just influences floor. So to me, these guys are less single entry, small field, three max stuff type players, uh, because I think we can get similar upside with higher floors in other spots. Uh, But for my MME crew in the crowd, um, very, very interesting because these are guys that can do significant damage on sub double digit kind of target stuff. So that was very interesting to me. Yeah, it's this is just an interesting spot. I don't know how else to describe it um, because we could see this game played to a 60 combined point overtime victory like we saw the first meeting. We could also see a divisional kind of slugfest here. So. do you have any other uh, things to pull out from this spot? No, I mean, it's good. I mean, the Eagles have been kind of a pass funnel. They're, they're just extremely so good against the run. And we've seen that the commanders have just struggled to run the football this past month. We've yeah. even seen them start to actually reduce Brian Robinson's role in the early down stuff. We've seen Chris Rodriguez now the past two weeks 
mix his way in as they try to explore kind of different avenues of trying to run the football effectively. So it should be another high drop back game. Uh, you know, Eagles D is really expensive. Like we never talk about defenses and like, but like, oh man, my God. If, if you can pay for an Eagles D like Jesus, man, that's a way to get unique for sure. Highest price deeks. Like man, yeah. Sam Howell is 40 just, sacks. It's 40, 40 sacks. 40 Absolutely sacks. unreal, man. That's insane, dude. Um, all right. With that game behind us, now I want to transition back to a little bit more macro perspective. And we we know that the league is shifting to too high base. We know why that is, or we've talked about that in the past. Uh, if you're new and you haven't seen those discussions, go check out earlier episodes. But there's really like four, maybe five head coaches or offensive play callers that are really looking to lean into looking to exploit too high. There's Bobby Slowick in Houston. There is Sean McVay with the Rams. There is Mike McDaniel with Miami. And there's Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. And why are all those guys, why is it interesting that those are kind of the guys that are looking to actively exploit too high? They're all of the Gary Kubiak slash Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. So all these guys are familiar with each other. And it's funny to me that we see pressers where all of them are talking about, oh, yeah, I slow, I stole that from Bobby Slowick mm -hmm. out in Houston. Oh, yeah, I, I stole that from Mike McDaniel. Um, we're starting to see the rules be bent when we look at we're, – we're used to seeing that like from Bill Belichick, you know, him wasting time on defense via bending the rules. We're starting to see that with Mike McDaniel and this entire kind of past Gary Kubiak coaching tree. We're seeing things like Tyreek Hill in horizontal motion at the snap of the football. Obviously, you cannot have a guy in motion moving forward at snap, but they're bending those rules because now you have a guy like Tyreek Hill or Debo Samuel or Tutu Atwell or Nico Collins who are at a full sprint at the snap of the football. Yes, they're running horizontal and they're running these weird loopy Schwuppenhausen routes that don't even fall into a standard route tree. But they're, you're getting a guy who now, a guy like Tyreek Hill, who's running full speed at the snap of the football. That's very, very interesting as we kind of look at the offenses that are finding success this year as well. Patrick Mahomes, Chiefs are going to have success. We talked about the Gary, former Gary Kubiak coaching tree. Outside of those four teams and outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, who will lump in that same discussion at fifth, are there any offenses who you're excited to see moving forward, particularly on this slate where there's a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity? Well, I don't know about from like a uh, like a full season long stance. I mean, it, there's definitely offenses I think set up to succeed this week. You know, obviously you brought up the Texans, like they're a, a team that's in a really good spot here because uh, they're a team that also like can't run the football. And we even saw before yeah. the we even saw before the bye them start to you know mess with Damian Pierce's snap stuff with, you know, Devin Singletary was basically involved in a 50, 50 split, but this is given their offensive line. Like I don't even think in this matchup where people try to talk themselves, maybe into the Panthers who are getting two linebackers back to this week that they, you can even get to Damian yeah. Pierce, right? Like it's just a hard sell, oh, yeah. uh, but it, you can sell yourself on either, you know, CJ Stroud and you look at like his stuff with, without pressure is just phenomenal. Um, Carolina's not getting any pressure on their quarterback, but you've got these two guys, these outside wide receivers in Nico Collins and Tank Dell with no Robert Woods now uh, available this week that have shown us spike weeks, like big spike weeks. We we obviously have the Tank Dell Jaguars game. Nico's given us two, one against the Colts, once against the Steelers. 
Uh, he's only behind AJ Brown, Brandon Ayuk, and Tyree Kill in yards per route run. Uh, Carolina, no JC Horn still. Uh, it's not going to be back still for next for the next couple weeks. And they're just getting flooded by these outside wide receivers. So we've got this really good spot to where even if you don't get to Stroud, I mean, you've got Nico Collins in that that we talked about that price zone, right? You talked about yeah. him directly versus Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin would be more of like your cash game guy, like you said, right? Like you're going to get your eight to 10 targets. There's the ceiling there. Well, Nico Collins, you give him double digit targets. We've already seen it, right? Like he can mm-hmm. get you 30 points. Tank Dell is capable of having a 30 point game uh, guys in that price zone. So like, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about like trying to play these guys. Uh, for like actual ceiling and depending on where you're playing your games at uh, your game selection. Yeah. So yeah, you saw me highlight them on the screen where I was thinking or where my own to answer my own question, where I immediately went to is a team like Baltimore Ravens with the new offensive coordinator. We have a lot of moving pieces, but when you look at kind of like what this team is and how they're trying to win games, there's still an offense that is bottom three in the league in pass attempts per game. They're still playing slow. Um, yes, like their pass rate over expectation is inching up as the season is progressing. Uh, but this is largely a team that kind of has to be pushed uh, as far as offensive or aerial volume, we'll say. So against the Arizona Cardinals, which could be Joshua Dobbs' last start. Uh, this season with Kyler Murray looking likely to return next week. Do you think the Arizona Cardinals have enough juice to really push the, 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 the Ravens here? Um, is it, is there upside there in this spot? Not for the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, I did, this offense has died the last month. Uh, yeah. Josh Dobbs is the most inaccurate quarterback the past month, lowest completion rate below expectation. Great story for opening season. Listen, with, I hope Josh Dobbs <laughs> yeah. is made himself, uh, you know, money moving forward as a backup, right? Like, you know, hang around the league, make some spot starts. Uh, he's, he's mobile, but like this, this offense has died and the defense has become who we thought they were, uh, as well. We just become like a weekly target for us. They don't pressure the quarterback. They don't try to play man coverage. They don't do anything. Uh, they're just completely <laughs> passive. They don't really, they really don't like that's Jonathan Gannon's MO too. I know it's like a style, yeah. like of defense yeah. It's very passive. He wants you to throw short and then to make tackles, but like they can't stop the run. They really just don't have the personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really kind of been exposed since that Dallas game. Uh, and they've been absolutely just crushed. I mean, if, if Seattle doesn't have the multiple turnovers last week and kind of shoot themselves in the foot with that red zone turnover, like they probably win by 17 plus in that game. They haven't been within 10 points since the Cowboys game of any opponent. Uh, but it might not matter because the, the Ravens completely flooded the Lions and kind of kept their foot on the gas. I mean, Lamar threw for 360 in a game they won by 32 points. Yeah. So th- there's definitely opportunity. What's hurt the Ravens, I think, structurally of what they have set out to do? Because in the preseason, they showed us they wanted to be an 11 base per- personnel team and do a lot of these things. But yeah. like their, their guys just haven't been healthy. Like Odell and Bateman just haven't been able to really get on the field. And the rotation of guys behind them just aren't good enough. You know, the Nelson yeah. Aguilar's aren't good enough. The Devin Duvernay's. We lived that life last year. Yeah. Um, so, like, that, I think that's, that's held Monken back a little bit for what he wants to do. And mm-hmm. early in the season, they kind of showed that they didn't want to use Lamar and, like, the designed run game as much. And then they've kind of been forced to. And it's actually yeah. made them a better offense for it. Uh, you know, that, I mean... Listen, I, you, you you incorporate some naked boot action for me. That's you're speaking my language. Uh, the naked yeah. boot is my is my swan song for the uh, <laughs> just just run it, baby, just run it. And so yeah, him getting that easy, touchdown easy button. over there. You're getting all hot yeah. and bothered. <laughs> <laughs> no, people don't use the naked boot any often. Uh, often <laughs> enough, man, 
You, yeah. you, you could look up some great Peyton Manning naked boots. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, no one believes it. There's a Steve Bono 77-yard naked boot touchdown run where just the cameraman doesn't even know he has the ball. But they, but they used it on the goal line with Lamar. The goal line, the yeah. The they did that with Peyton as well. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, the Lamar the Jackson touchdown. But uh, it's Peyton hard wall, for this man. game from like a game environment stance. It's hard because like Hollywood Brown has been just getting nuked. Like we talked a few weeks ago about Hollywood Brown. Like, man, he's just getting like he looks like a value at this yeah. volume. But I mean, over the past four weeks, only Amari Cooper has a high, higher rate of inaccurate targets than Hollywood Brown does. Like we just need more actionable targets. Like they're very loose targets. I mean, people are going to get to the probably bad chalk Trey McBride this week. And no, don't let me, I won't yuck anyone's yum on a $2,800 and a $4,900 yeah. tight end. Like do what you got to do at tight end. <laughs> I hear you. I hear it's you. Judgment free zone, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's going to be on the field a lot. The matchup's crap. His quarterback's not playing well. At least you can say Arizona's throwing a bunch of targets to tight ends. Like you just throw yeah. it, let Jesus take the wheel. I get it. But I mean, there's just nobody like Amari DiMercato. Like I can't, I can't get to these guys this week. Yeah. So is this a situation where you'd be willing to pull a, a Lamar Jackson double or a, Mar, a Lamar Jackson skinny uh, with no bringbacks, um, just trying to capture yeah. another 40 pointer out of, uh, out of these guys? Yeah. Lamar is in a great spot. Uh, the only quarterback that hasn't scored more fantasy points against Arizona than what they were averaging entering the game was Matthew Stafford. Uh, and they just ran the ball the entire second half of that game. Maybe yeah. that happens here. I mean, it, it'd be easy to try to talk yourself into a guy like Gus Edwards, but like, it, for from like a fantasy stance from a DFS side, like, what does Gus Edwards like? What does the Gus Edwards game getting there have to look like? He had an eighty-yard catch last week. Yeah, <laughs> that, never, that ain't happening again. Like, he's got to score multiple touchdowns easily, right, at his price, mm-hmm. and like that's tough to chase. Yep, I will. Uh, I'll I'll back that up as well. Um, all right, man, that was, uh, a fun episode, but we got about five minutes before we'll get out of here. So give me, uh, let's, let's play a game. How about that? Let's play a game. I'll give you, um, I'll give you a, let's do this. Let's do, I'll give you two options, uh, of offenses and you tell me one that you would be interested in over the other. And it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy, but we're going to do this. Check this out. (laughs) Sure, man. All right. Uh, the New Orleans Saints and anybody not named Alvin Kamara, yeah, um, or the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I mean, I I have uh, the one of my favorite plays on this slate is Chris Olave. So I guess I'll there it is. Up. I was looking for. I was fishing. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, not only is it the same situation we talked about Garrett Wilson, where it's direct leverage yeah. on a player in his own offense that's going to be highly owned, but he he has at least six catches in five to seven games this year. We talk about Gus Bradley all the time. Uh, the Gus bus, uh, loves to run that cover three. He's running at 56.6% of opposing passing plays by far the highest in the league. He's one of these guys we can count on defensively from a defensive scheme stance because he doesn't change what he does versus any opponent. Like yeah. some of this stuff, it's hard to get in the weeds on of like how this guy performs against a specific coverage because it, it oscillates week to week, uh, mm-hmm. what, how, for, for game plans, but like the Colts given their young secondary and what Gus Bradley does, he's just consistent. He's going to play a lot of cover three. Every week. Uh, and yep. against cover three this season, Chris Olave leads the Saints with 29% of the team targets, 41% of team air yards. He's been targeted on 29.3% of his routes. What I like about this the, this the most, though, is that only 10.3% of Olave's targets against cover three have been deemed inaccurate, as opposed to 20.5% against everywhere else. When Derek Carr is getting that single high stuff, he's throwing, he's hitting Chris Olave on accurate 
target tree. But he's getting a lot against these like the cover four stuff and like the thing the with the other stuff. Like he's getting these targets that come with lower success rates, and it showed up. Like I said, his his inaccurate target rate is cut in half, literally yeah. cut in half uh, against these looks. So that's what I like about it the most is we're getting more effective targets too from Chris Olave in these situations. So yeah, Chris Olave is a guy I can definitely tell you right now is a guy I will be heavily invested in player prop stuff and going over over the field on. Yeah. It is also interesting. You mentioned that Chris Olave is around a 29% targets per route run rate against cover three. Alvin Kamara is actually at 37.1% targets per route run against cover three small sample. I mean, but most of his like blow up 14 target games were actually against a soft shell cover three. Uh, so there's, I'm trying to work through like, do I just eat that? Is that okay? Chalk to eat. And DraftKings, I think um, you know, FanDuel, I think you can come under yeah. Kamara because mm-hmm. you have the touchdown equity stuff. Uh, you know, you have a lot of outs, a lot more outs on FanDuel than you do on yep, DraftKings. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, we'll continue this game because that was fun. Uh, the New York Football Giants, with now Daniel Jones was uh, ruled as uh, out again mm-hmm. heading into this week with his neck injury. Um, or the Seattle Seahawks against Cleveland. Yeah, that, that one's tough. I want to do, because the Browns are in a similar spot uh, again, or the Seahawks uh, are in a similar spot, like the Browns that we saw at the Colts. Like you've got these great man beaters, right? Like DK Metcalf for his career has historically been great against man coverage. Yeah. But even this year, he's only averaging 1.19 yards per hour against man. Uh, this is another team that is playing really slow. I was looking into some of Gino's peripherals because Gino is a guy I was kind of into at his draft cost, especially we talked about the best ball portfolio before the show, especially where he was going in these best ball leagues because he had thrown all the multiple touchdown passing games last year. He's getting drafted like QB 15. He was like an easy click for me there. And the the production just hasn't been there, but he's actually all his peripheral stats are the exact same, like almost the exact same. What's happened though is the touchdown rate has dipped because they're throwing the ball, uh, running the ball more in the red zone and they're just running the ball more in general. Yeah. game script uh and i don't know if it's a byproduct of the offensive line injuries they've had to, at the start of the season but gino like from a peripheral stance all his rate stats are exactly the same and he's even number one again in completion rate over expectation his yards for pass attempt the exact same and it's just like man where's the disconnect though why aren't these receivers like why are we getting any production out of these guys because even tyler lockett you know he's been a top 40 scorer in just two of six games this season we, yeah. we needed a dk metcalf injury last week to open the door kind of for jsn and if he doesn't even score that touchdown and i don't want to be the guy that says pull this away from a guy and he do something yeah. like he had four catches for 63 yards it's not like the dude went like absolutely nuclear last week against the cardinals either so it's just a really tough spot to say, like against this Browns defense, like that we know it's going to play a ton of man coverage and give you opportunities for big plays. That's the first week we had seen them, right? Yeah. But when you when you play a lot of man coverage, that's why teams stop doing this in the NFL. Is you give up the the, the one play touchdown drives, and the Browns gave up two of them last week. Yeah. Uh, and this is why we started to see the shift, the meta shift to the too high because they want to make hey beat us in eight plays, beat us in twelve plays. By all means, do that. But you ain't gonna beat us in one play, and the Browns are one of the defense that invites it. So, like, yeah. is it a game? Do, do we see like a DK game, like an old school DK game, a Tyler Lockett opportunity game? The opportunity exists, but it, like, I, we need the Seahawks to open this shit up. And like, is BJ Walker gonna be the like the quarterback that like push push the game script again? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> we also have some injury uncertainty with that spot. That's why I 
thought it was so interesting. Kenneth Walker did not practice on Thursday with a calf injury. We also had Tyler Lockett who missed practice on Thursday with his um, hamstring injury. DK Metcalf is full go out with his rib um, and hip injuries. So there's a lot of moving pieces still with these Seahawks uh, team. Um, and yeah, I was heavily invested in Gino as well. So I'm kind of waiting for that touchdown regression to come here. Uh, <laughs> still waiting, still waiting. Um, all right. We'll say 40, 49ers, we, 49ers, Bengals, we talk about a lot. That's like yeah. the late swap game. We don't know if we're going to get Darnold. Uh, but obviously like Darnold's super cheap. You've a lot of different stacks. I'm very partial to this game because the biggest DFS week I've ever had in my life was two years ago when these teams played. So I feel obligated ah, to try to nice. get back to it. Because uh, <laughs> we've seen it again with Kittle, right? Like when one of these guys misses, Kittle's involved in the game offense. offense. Mm-hmm. And like Kittle is a guy that generally gets overlooked because if people pay up for tight end, it's always typically for Kelsey. And then you just pay down. That's like typically how every gamer plays tight end uh, yeah. on, a, on a given slate is pay up for Kelsey or pay down. So you'll see a lot of Kelsey and Andrews gets mixed in because either he's priced in the Lamar stacking stuff. But Kittle definitely is a guy that offers immense upside. Like if, if Debo's not going to play, it sounds like he's not. So, yeah. Uh, and this was an interesting component of this last game before we get out of here. Uh, when they played Minnesota, I was off of Kittle in, in the showdown because um, because of uh, Brian Flores' increased blitz rates. Also, um, we had the offensive line injuries with Trent Williams, who was out in that matchup. Um, so I expected Kittle to be in to block more. When you talk about now a matchup against um, Lou Anarumo's zone-heavy defense that doesn't blitz a whole heck of a lot, it could open up Kittle to be in a route at a higher rate than he was last week. So I like that shout a good bit. Uh, any other, oh, by the ways, with uh, before we get out of here, man, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think this is a super fun slate. I think it's ownership's going to be relatively flat outside of, you know, uh, you know, Brees Hall on both sites, Kamara on DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to offer a pathway to a lot of just unique lineups and a lot of fun this weekend. Oh, the way that Chalk's been hitting on DraftKings at running back, I'm just going to play Brees Hall and Alvin Kamara on every roster and just move on. <laughs> I mean, it- DraftKings, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't want to throw DraftKings under the bus though. Like, but like their pricing has been so bad this year. It's been really bad. Three years ago, they were the type pricing site. And now it's like, what's going on? That's so loose. I don't know. We digress. Yeah. As always, Rich, it was a distinct pleasure jamming with you about week eight. If you're new here, we're doing this every single week, searching for ceiling at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, presented by One Week Season, go check out One Week Season, check out our new props package, check out the inner circle where you get a little bit more exposure to some heavier game theoretic methodologies. Go over to Sharp Football Analysis, check out their awesome suite of analytics, and there's a code down in the description for 40% off, so check that out as well. Rich, until next time, man, it was a pleasure. We'll see you all. One Week Season.